Father, we thank you that on Father's Day 2018, we have the privilege of calling you Daddy. (laughs) Of all the names that you take on, Creator, Healer, Counselor, Savior, Son of God, of all the names that you take on, there's nothing closer to us than Father. There's nothing more intimate. And God, I pray for everyone who's gathered in this room today. God, I pray for those who um, maybe their father is far from them. Maybe their relationship with their father is broken. Maybe they haven't known their father for many years. Or maybe their father's gone. God, I pray that you would be father to them today. That you would be daddy. And any view that we have of a dad that's linked to something here on earth that's painful, Father God, I pray that you, Daddy, would heal that, that you would be our dad today, that you would be our father forever. And God, right now, as we dive into your word, as we seek after you, God, I pray that you would lead us like a father does to a small child and that we would reach up and that we would grab onto your hand, onto your finger, God, and that we would follow you with every step, the known and the unknown, through the good and the bad, through the trial and the pain and the victory and the wins. God, I pray that we would follow you as a son does to a father. God, we give you right now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us, that you would guide us, and that you would bless us now. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day, everyone. I hope you're doing well this morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Some of you are like, wait a minute. We were in Acts chapter 13 last week. Yep. We were, and so we continue in our series called World Upside Down as we're really taking a look at what what the first church went through, what the first people who called themselves followers of the way and who later were called uh, Christians, what they went through in the first century and what we can learn from them. And today we come to this this part of this story of the first church of these people who were called the first Christians, and they have been sent out on this very first missionary journey. In fact, today we're going to be taking a look at the first missionaries ever. Now, um, we've got a group of about 20 people who are leaving Saturday, this coming Saturday, myself included, for Belize, and we're going on a trip to Belize. Some of you are like, Belize is a cruise, it's a cruise stop. It's not a mission field. It is a mission field. We go the other direction, just so you know. A lot of people are like, ooh, you're going to Belize on a missions trip. I get what you're doing. They're like, no, we're going into the jungles, into the mountains, and uh, it, there, we are going to a, a place um, and, and a commun- into communities that are very much overlooked in terms of the spread of the gospel. So we're going to be doing a little bit of what we're looking at today. Um, but these folks in the first century, um, they had it very, very difficult. But the ripple effect that they saw because of their faithfulness to share the message of Jesus was really incredible. I, I, I play golf. Uh, it's Father's Day. I, I'm hopeful that Sean and I can go out and um, maybe before the U.S. Open begins and um, we can watch uh, golfers uh, play really bad golf at Shinnecock Hills. That was so much fun yesterday. i got to be honest with you. It's great. Because here's the way my golf goes. Um, in, in, you know, if I play nine holes, I'm probably going to um, knock a ball into a lagoon at least once, maybe twice. Um, if you're from somewhere else, or ponds, it's everywhere else. 
lakes. They're called lagoons here. All right. I don't know why, but it is. So neighborhoods or plantations, lakes or lagoons. I have no idea why. But I was playing golf uh, a few months ago. Um, I was out there by myself, and I was on the first hole of uh, the golf course I play. And um, I shanked a seven iron and hit the ball right into this lagoon. And it seems like I am there frequently. And I know that um, I hit a ball into that lagoon because um, there's a huge alligator. And it's kind of one of those things like I hit a ball like near the, 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 the edge of that lagoon. And I'm like, that's it. That's good. I'll drop. I'll drop on the green. I'm laying four. That's cool. I'm good with that. So uh, it was one of those times when it hit the, it hit the bank. And it, it kind of like seemed like the ball went faster after it hit the bank and it hit the water and there was the normal ripple effect with the water. But what I didn't know is there was a much larger ripple effect because in addition to the one alligator was evidently another two alligators that were down there that I didn't see and a bunch of turtle and fish. It was like National Geographic. As soon as I hit that ball, man, it just went crazy. And uh, it was a ripple effect that I did not expect. It was like all kind of like wildlife down there. And so I was like, that ball is going to be there for a long time until some guy with scuba gear goes and gets it. Have at it. Titleist uh, one. So anyway, hey, um, so the, the ripple effect that I saw that day was unexpected. And I got thinking about the fact that the ripple effect that these first Christians had in the world, there were probably some things that were really unexpected. There were some things that probably surprised them. We've kind of walked through chapter up to chapter 13, and there's kind of a break between about chapter 12 and 13 because everything from chapter 1 of the book of Acts all the way up to about chapter 12 is really the story of the gospel being spread into Jerusalem, which is uh, in Judea, and into Samaria, and a little bit into Galilee, and it kind of accomplishes the first part of the mission that was given by Jesus before the Holy Spirit came to go into uh, Judea. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, but the uttermost parts of the world, or to the rest of the world, really begins to happen with this very first missionary journey in chapter 13. And last week, we left off with the church gathering these people who were going to go out with the gospel, knowing what they were going to face, and they were set apart before they were sent off. And we talked about the fact that whether we're on a short-term missions work or whether we're on a long-term missions work or whether we are just sharing the gospel in our own backyard and to the people we meet, that we first need to be set apart, that we need to tap into the Holy Spirit and rely on his power, not our own power, to be able to share the message of Jesus. Because when we do this, when we share the message of Jesus, we are going to be up against some difficulty from time to time. And we see these first missionaries launched out to go into the world. And what happens in chapter 13 and chapter 14 is this first missionary journey begins. And they sail from Antioch. Well, they sail actually from a little place near Antioch which is Syrian Antioch. There were two Antiochs that, that you, if you read chapters 13 and 14, that you see. And they go to Cyprus. 
And in Cyprus, they come up upon this, this government official who eventually accepts Jesus as his savior. And then they sail to what is modern-day Turkey. They go from Cyprus to modern-day Turkey, and they go into Turkey, and they come to Pisidian Antioch. And we're going to look at that today, so I'll come back to that. And then they eventually go to Iconium, and they have this um, confrontation with these unbelieving Jews, which we'll see the beginning of that today. And then they, they flee to Lystra or Lystra and Derbe, um, and they heal a layman, and the crowd there thought that they were gods. I love that part. It's kind of like a movie. Uh, they thought they were gods because they had healed this guy who was lame. And uh, all of a sudden, the crowd of Jews that, uh, that was there uh, kind of chasing after them followed them there, and they eventually... Uh, uh, begin to uh, stone the Apostle Paul. And he ends up living, and believe it or not, the next day, miraculously, he moves on. And uh, they kind of follow that same pattern. They go through Perga and Italia. They preach the gospel there. And then they return back to Syrian Antioch. And I just kind of gave you like a, about a two-minute, one-minute or two-minute summation of the first missionary journey. And if you look at a map, the first missionary journey is not very far, but for them it was incredibly far. And I want you to capture this. This was the first time that the gospel message had gone beyond the borders of the region where Jesus lived and where these first people of the first church lived and where the apostles and the disciples came from. This was the first time that the word of God had gone beyond where it started. Really an amazing thing. And they take it to, to um, Galatia, which is where you know, Paul writes this book that we have called Galatians. He writes it to a bunch of churches in Galatia. Now, if you were traveling to Galatia, which is uh, the, you know, kind of the, the eastern part of the Mediterranean, almost said Caribbean, that would have been a really long way, uh, but uh, the eastern part of the Mediterranean, which is modern-day Turkey, this was not an easy area to travel. Today, it's not an easy area to travel. In fact, this part where they went to, this place called uh, uh, Antioch in, in Pisidia, was protected by mountains, this huge range of mountains, so much so that it's a lot colder there, not very far from the coast of the Mediterranean, than it is always on the other side of the mountains. They had to cross, get this, in the first century, they had to cross through those mountains to get to where they were going, to where they felt like God was leading them to take the gospel message they came up against hardship, against hardship, against hardship, but they pressed on, and they finally brought the gospel to not just the Gentiles, but to a Gentile area. And let's take a look at the, the message that Paul was preaching. They end up in this place called Antioch in Pisidia, and they end up there on the Sabbath day, and so they go into the synagogue, which is where kind of the center of life and the center of culture happened there in the synagogue, and they went in, and the people in the synagogue said, if you have anything encouraging to say, go ahead and say that. And so Paul takes the opportunity to be bold and to step up, and essentially what he preaches is a message of freedom from the Jewish law. I want you to think about that. Here they were. These were Jesus followers, followers of the way, now just recently called Christians. And he goes into a Jewish synagogue, and he preaches a message that is radically, radically different, that perhaps had not yet re reached this part of the known world. This was a message that was so different, a message that was really all about a relationship with God through Jesus and not the completion or the adherence to all these laws 
Look at Paul's words in Acts 13, 38 through 39. He says this. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. I mean, this was like, this was almost heretical in some ways. And there Paul is, one asked to give a word of encouragement, and he just boldly lays it down and essentially says, everything that you knew is no more because of this man named Jesus. Now, when he had preached this before, if you'll remember, they were arrested. They were persecuted. They were beaten. They were taken and thrown into jail. At this point in time, some of them were killed. Stephen was stoned. James, one of the leaders of the first church, has already died. Um, at this point in time, like you would not look at these people and go, these people have a great strategy to spread any kind of message around the world. You would probably look at them and go, boy, they, they really need some help. They need a consultant to come in and give them some new ideas on how to do this because this is not going very well. And much to their surprise, as Luke writes in here in verses 42 and 43, um, things go very well here in Pisidian Antioch. Check this out. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. So they preach on that Sabbath, and they preach this message of freedom from the law, and everyone's like, please come back next Sunday and, or next Saturday and preach this same message. Please come and do it again. We want to hear this again. By the way, if you really want to make your pastor happy, say that. I just want you to know that. That's a great message for him to hear. Yeah, I want to hear the same thing. Um, verse 43, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism, who were there listening, followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And verse 44 says, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. A surprising ripple effect, right? Given what has happened in the past, all of a sudden, these people in Pisidian Antioch hear this message, they receive the message, many of them believe the message, but not only that, the whole village shows up, the whole town shows up to hear more. And all of a sudden, the seeming failures that they had had before all of a sudden turn into victories. It turns into success. And the ripple effect seems amazingly good. But then some other things happen. Take a look at verse 45. There's always a but. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying this, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. He's saying this to them, but he's saying this about all Jews. Like the word of God was brought to you, it was meant for you first and foremost, it was meant for you. And he's telling them that this is true, that everything that he's preaching is for them first and foremost. It's necessary that the word of God be spoken to you since you thrust it aside, since you thrust it aside, 
and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. I love how Paul takes their argument and he kind of twists it around. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, remember there were those who were Gentiles who had uh, turned to Judaism. When they heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited that about women of high standing, if, if you want to get things done in a society, who do you turn to? You turn to the women, all right? So they understood this is what needed to happen. Uh, Devout women of the high standing and leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went into Iconium or went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Such an interesting passage because here we are. It's the very first missionaries. They're continuing to do what they did in Judea and Samaria and in Galilee and and in Jerusalem. And they're spreading the, the word of God. They're taking the gospel to a foreign land now. They've already come against difficulty just getting there, simply getting there. And, and they preach this message, and it's extremely well received at first. And then all of a sudden, this group in the crowd begins to shout out against them. And there's a couple things that this passage makes me think about our continuing to take the gospel message wherever we go. There's a couple things that I think we need to understand. The first thing is, is that the message of the gospel causes people to choose. And we may say that lightly. We may say that a little bit without thinking about it. But the gospel message is a divisive message doesn't sound very good, does it? It doesn't sound very churchy, does it? But the message of Jesus is a dividing line. But I want you to think about this. It's not just a dividing line for for the, the people in this culture at this time. It's a dividing line for all of us. The message of Jesus pushes all of us to a point of decision. And so in our effort to share that message and the ways that we do it, whether it's with friends or coworkers or neighbors or family members or whether it's kind of you know, going to Belize like many of us are going to be doing here just in a few days. Um, um, one of the guys just said to me, you know, enjoy the comfort right now because in a week we're going to be sitting in a church in San Ignacio. And Chuck, you're right, man. We're going to be like you know, fanning ourselves because it's going to be 100 degrees in there and no air conditioning. So... Uh, um, You know, I think about the fact that, like, when we take the gospel to whoever we take, when we share what God has done with us, Christ follower, I want you to hear this. We have to realize that the people we're talking to are going to have to make a choice. And they're going to choose to believe. They're going to choose to receive. They're going to choose to reject that message that we're giving them. Or they're actually going to do what some of these folks did And they're going to choose to resist the message and push back against it and maybe speak out against it. 
And so we need to realize that the message of the gospel, Jesus came to save us from from the, the eternal life in hell. He came to give us life in heaven with him one day. It's the best message in the world, but but for, for whatever reason, in those people that are hearing the message, there's gonna be a choice, and they're gonna not everyone is gonna choose to accept and receive the message. Some are gonna choose to reject it deny it, and some are even going to choose to resist it. And maybe in sharing that message, you're going to be kind of the target of some of that resistance, maybe even a little bit of persecution, light persecution. Let's face it, we don't face persecution like the first missionaries did. We just don't in our Western culture. But I want you to realize and hear that there are places around the world where Christians are being persecuted every single day. There are places around the world where Christians are are in hiding and they're trying to secretly have meetings because they know to have public meetings would mean certain arrest and perhaps punishment. People are being persecuted every day. And in our culture, we might have some small, light forms of persecution But here's the point. We don't need to be surprised by people's reaction and response to the gospel message. There are some that it's going to click. It's going to make sense. They're going to receive. They're going to accept. And you're going to be their hero because you're the one that brought the message to them. There are going to be some who reject the message. They say, it's not for me. You know, I, I don't want that. And as much as you try and try and try again to convince them and try to, try to kind of, you know, help them get to the place that they understand all that Christ did when he came, when he died and he rose again three days later, and all that the Father was doing when he sent his only son was for our good because he loves us like we just sang about. They're still going to reject it, and some are even going to resist it. And they're going to do everything they can to stop you. We don't need to be surprised by people's definitive response to the gospel. It does push them to a choice. The second thing I think we need to understand from this passage is that one group's rejection of the gospel message doesn't necessarily guarantee another group's rejection of the gospel message. See, sometimes we kind of over-apply the rejection of the message that we're trying to communicate to a family member, a friend, or a coworker, or a fellow student. Like, we apply that to everyone. We think if one person or one group of people are going to reject that, that the next person that we talk to is going to reject it. And I think that Paul and some of his companions' actions here communicate to us that is not necessarily true, that we don't need to apply the rejection of one group or one person to others. What does Paul say that they do when they, the Jews, those Jews who were rejecting it, he said in verse 47, the Lord has commanded us saying, I've made a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. In the previous verse, Paul and Barnabas pulled out Uh, spoke boldly and basically said to the Jewish people who were rejecting the gospel, this message is for you, but if you don't want it, it's time for us to move on to someone else. So they shake the dust off. They pull themselves up by the bootstraps. They lick their wounds, and they move on. And they share that message with someone else. They don't improperly apply the rejection of one group to the next group. I think the action that we need to take is that when we experience rejection 
in sharing anything spiritually, engaging in any way spiritually. If we experience rejection, we don't need to apply that to everyone else. It just happened with that one person or that one group of people. And then lastly and thirdly, is when we experience rejection or persecution, we need to resist the temptation to take it personally. Hey, man, I am the top on the list of people who takes it personally. I'm right there. But I'm a pastor. I'm pretty insecure. Like, that's how we are. It's just, it's the truth. I hate to admit it, but it's, I mean, it's, you know, insecure to, like, you know, completely admit that. But, you know, it's going to cause insecurity anyway. But that's who we are. But that's who we as people are, right? Like, we take it personally. Listen, I want you to hear this. When people reject the, mess, reject the message that you're trying to communicate to them in any way that you're trying to communicate to them, they're not rejecting you. Remember, they're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting you. They may be shooting the messenger, but they're rejecting Jesus. And that decision is between them and God. And if we take it personally, if we improperly apply that rejection to the next group or the next person, then all of a sudden, the advance of the gospel stops. You see, Paul and his companions went on. Now, they were, they were getting out of town, and I love that part of it because it shows their humanity. They were like, you know, we are not having success here, so we're going to move on. And it says that they fled and that demonstrates, I think, a lot of like, what we might do. Like, hey, it's time for us to get out of here. Like, We may be permanently stopping this, so we need to move on. But they moved on, and they continued the work. They continued in Lystra and Iconium and Derby. In fact, they were arrested, and Paul ended up being stoned. You read that in chapter 14, at the end of 13 and 14, how things kind of went down for them but they never stopped. You see, at some point, listen, I want you to hear this, at some point when they heard that there were a group of people, a group of Jewish people that were unbelieving Jews and they were kind of rallying the troops, kind of gaining support, most people would have said, it's time to go back to our other Antioch. We didn't have success in this Antioch. We need to go back to Syrian Antioch. We need to go back to Jerusalem. It's time to retreat. But they didn't retreat, did they? They continued to share the gospel message. Think about for a moment if they had gone back. Think if they had turned their boats in the Mediterranean Sea in the opposite direction and headed back to Judea and to Samaria and to Galilee. It's very possible that the second missionary journey wouldn't have taken place. It's very possible that the third missionary journey wouldn't have taken place. It's very possible that the message of Jesus would not have continued to spread into the known world. It's very possible that Rome would have never received this great message of redemption and salvation, it's very possible if they had turned their ships back that day, it's very possible that we today would not be here. Hilton Head Island Community Church, our mission is to passionately share the message of Jesus and lead people to follow him. And the future of us continuing to be on that mission depends on us 
being able to withstand some of the rejection that we might face, as light as it may be compared to these guys. I mean, there's a very, very, very low likelihood that in your sharing the message of Jesus, you won't be stoned. Am I right? Mild persecution at best, at worst. But we need to press on and press on and press on because we don't know what the ripple effects are going to be. We don't know what the results are going to be. That's up to the Lord. Before I was a pastor, years before I was a pastor, when I first got out of college, when Cynthia and I were first married, uh, I sold telephone systems. That was the best training for doing what I'm doing today that I've ever had in my life. Because going door to door, cold calling, if you don't know what that is, Google it sometime. You'll get a good picture of what it is. Literally looking over a desk going, hey, that's an old telephone system. Can I talk to your owner or can I talk to the CEO or the president of your company? I did that for two and a half, three years. You talk about rejection. And I remember getting kicked out of some buildings and I wouldn't go back that day. But a few times along the way of being a pastor in my own Christian walk, there's, there have been times that um, there's been rejection when I've talked to people about what God has done in my life. And it's not fun. It's not. It's not fun. We, we were in Belize back in December, and um, we went to visit a water uh, there's a water treatment uh, thing that we helped install through Row Kids, and we went and visited it, and the principal of the school was supposed to be taking care of it, and it was in disrepair in this one village, and we went up, and we were looking at it, and she didn't know us, and we were unannounced, so I get it, but we were there to try to help the village in an effort to reach them for Christ, and oh man, we, we, got, we got chased out of there big time. I can think of times when I've shared with good friends and they've just said, I just don't believe. I don't believe that's true. I believe there are multiple ways. I believe that there's other ways. It hurts. It does. It hurts. But it shouldn't stop us, should it? It shouldn't stop the effort. It shouldn't stop us from continuing on. When we come up against that kind of rejection, it's time to just shake the dust off and to continue on passionately sharing the message of Jesus. Because if we stop, if we turn our ships around and head back home, think about what might, what might happen in the future. The advance of the gospel may stop. I love Winston Churchill's message that he brought to a boys' school back in 1941. It was right when Great Britain was in the throes of the beginning of World War II and he talked to him, and you probably know the first part. He said, never give in, never give in, never, 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 never. And nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to the convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparent overwhelming, overwhelming might of the enemy. And if you know Winston Churchill's story, you know that he was up against not just a war, but a popularity rating that was in the tank at that time for how he was dealing with it. And his message was never, ever give up. And I think that's God's message to us today. That whatever we face, never give up. Never, ever, ever give in. Father God, I thank you so much for the great work of salvation 
that you chose to do, the great work of redemption that you decided that you would be about when you sent your son, Jesus, into this world to die for our sins. And Father God, as we consider how we can turn the world upside down in our own world, whatever that means, however that looks, whatever way we share that, whether it's engaging with someone who we know is, doesn't believe, maybe who has already rejected you, whether it's encouraging someone who once believed but now they're far from you, or whether it's going on a short-term missions trip to Belize or somewhere else, even here in this country, or whether it's talking to a student, a coworker, one of our friends, a neighbor, if it's helping someone out in our neighborhood who's sick, and God, we feel led by you to share what you've done in our lives. Maybe it's helping a friend through a difficult time. Whatever that is, Father, when we experience rejection, when we experience overt resistance, in the strong name of Jesus, God, I pray that we would be people who never give in, who continue to share because we're called to share, who never stop the process of engaging with our world and the world around us for your sake, for your message. And God, when we have those times of rejection and resistance, God, I pray that we would realize that it is not all about us, that the ripple effect of our continuing to share, we may never see on this side of heaven. We may never even experience it in this life. And God, I pray that we would be reminded of that. I pray that we would shake the dust off our and that we would move on and continue what you've given us, the job that you've given us to do. God, I pray for anyone who's in this room here on Father's Day 2018, and perhaps they've never made that commitment. Maybe they've never received you as their Savior. Maybe they're the very one that has in the past rejected or resisted your great message, your good news. God, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who hasn't accepted you as their savior, Father God, I pray that they would do that right now. Today, I wanna to give you the opportunity to receive Jesus as your savior if you've never done that before. God sent his son, Jesus, to die a brutal death on a cross for your sins, to rise again three days later to give you eternal life. And right now, if you're here and you've never received him as your savior. I want to give you the opportunity and invite you to say yes to Jesus, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you died today, that you would have eternity in heaven with him. That's the redemption that we talk about. That's the salvation that we talk about. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, you will be saved. And so right now, I'm just going to pray a prayer out loud. And I want to invite you, if you've never done this, to pray it silently in your heart. It's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you for making me. Thank you for bringing me here today. And right now, I admit that I have sin and that my sin keeps me from you. And right now, today, I accept you, Jesus, 
as my Savior. Help me now to live for you. If you're in here, in this room, in the sound of my voice, in the quietness of this room, and you pray that prayer along with me, or something like it in your own words to God, would you just raise your hand? I promise I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Keep those hands up for a moment. God, I pray for those, awesome, whose hands are raised right now. God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would help anchor them to your word and to a church, God, that preaches your word and that teaches your word. And God, I pray that they would follow in believers' baptism. God, even this week on Wednesday night, God, I pray that they would follow you in obedience to that command to be baptized now. And God, I pray that they would grow in their journey with you. God, help them in this newfound journey. You can put your hands down. And God, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to serve you. And God, I thank you so much for the great God that you are. And God, we just, we love you. We're so grateful for what you did on the cross. We just want to give back to you. And we want to worship you, God, right now in this place and in this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.